Escape Pod. June 30th, 2005. Today's story, Lacrimose and the Golden Egg, by Tim Pratt. Hi, I'm Steve Ely, and welcome to Escape Pod. I want to give a special welcome to those who are finding us for the first time via iTunes. We're happy to have you. For those of you who haven't noticed, Apple just put official podcasting support into its music player, with millions of people clicking on that funky purple icon. It's driving a lot of podcasters nuts. For a lot of them, it's like praying for a good harvest, then waking up the next morning to find your home buried in milled wheat. Or they're not listed at all, and they accuse Apple of playing favorites. To that, I can only promise you, if I'm listed, they're not playing favorites. And that's enough talk about podcasting for this year. It's not our subject here. Our subject is science fiction. Specifically, narrating fun, contemporary science fiction. Now, a lot of people have been asking me just what I mean by fun stories, since I keep saying that over and over. Some of these people are writers whose work I've rejected. It's a hard thing to answer, especially because it's not directly synonymous with good. I've had to turn down some really excellent stories, Stories I loved with beautiful imagery and evocative language just because the pacing didn't seem quite right for what we do or because they were more character study and less plot. Those stories can be very effective in prose. In audio, or at least in the audio we do here, things need to keep happening. And that's a lot of what fun is, is things happening. It's a particular sort of energy. It can also mean stories that don't take themselves too seriously. Once you've read for a while, you can sort of tell which writers are writing with a goal to impress the reader, or to make a statement, and which writers are just enjoying the act of writing. I prefer that second one, because enjoyment's contagious. But really, when it comes down to it, I can't define it for you. If I could define fun in precise, accurate terms, I think it might strip it of some of its, well, fun. The same problem comes up in a lot of fields. A few decades ago, in an argument about how to define science fiction, Damon Knight said, Science fiction means what we point to when we say it. The same thing applies here. I can't tell you what fun is, but I know what it is, and I can give you examples as I come across them. No one will agree with me on all of the examples, but if you agree with me on a lot of them, well, just keep listening. And tell a friend. And that takes us full circle to this week's Exhibit A, Lacrimose and the Golden Egg. This is a wonderful fantasy or science fiction story about a daring rogue or a guy on a couch who saves fair maidens or gets saved by them. I'll leave it to your own judgment. Tim Pratt is a Nebula-nominated and very prolific short story writer and poet who's had multiple works in the year's best fantasy collections and has a story in this year's best American short stories. His first published novel, The Strange Adventures of Ranger Girl is coming out from Bantam Spectra in December. This particular story was in Volume 2 of the Journal of Pulse-Pounding Narratives, often prescribed for patients with low blood pressure. And with all that said, please remain upright and keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle. It's story time. Lacrimose and the Golden Egg by Tim Pratt The woman in the wood was fair-skinned, white-gowned, and altogether lovely, 
but I didn't let her beauty lull me. In the forest of intangibles, things are seldom what they seem. That might be the fundamental truth of doing vision, of coming to this place. You're lying on a couch somewhere, dying, but in your mind you live life richly in peril and beauty. The woman stepped from the shadows onto that winding, redwood-crowded path, close enough for me to see the iridescence of her eyes and to smell the roses on her breath, which made me suspicious, because what kind of woman eats roses? She looked fuzzy, like a soft-focus photograph. She had red hair. They often do. "'Foul temptress,' I said, stepping back, clanking in my armor. A suit of plate mail often appears when I'm startled. I wished the armor away and replaced it with soft green leggings and a deerskin shirt. "'Wily seductress?' "'Damsel in distress.' She leaned against a tree, hands clasped before her. I clutched my stick and looked around. "'Immediate distress or general distress?' I worried about ogres or killbots. They often menace damsels, and when the wind's wrong, you can't smell them coming, neither rotten meat nor engine oil. It's hard to hurt an ogre or a killbot with a staff, but I'm useless with a sword. I used a blade on my first few outings, but after chopping off my feet six times, I switched to a stick. General distress. I seek an artifact. If I do not find it, I will die. What sort of artifact? I just finished a war, so a quest sounded fun. A heavy one, I bet, and you need me to carry it for you. She glared, straightening. Her image sharpened. Women here come in two varieties, Princess Beautiful and Hag Ugly. Only hair color and the number of warts vary. My damsel fell into the first category. I seek the golden egg. I am quite capable of carrying it myself. I hope to enlist your aid as a warrior. Rogue warrior and occasional thief, actually, I said. My name is Lacrimos. She covered her mouth in surprise. Lacrimos? The Lacrimos? I bowed. None other, and I will gladly join you, my fair... Get up, Larry, my sister Fanny said, slapping my face. Back to the real world, I blinked and groaned. She put down the hypodermic she'd just used to inject me with anti-vision, neutralizing my drug, my therapy, my escape. What? I just started a new thread. You've been under for two days. It's almost time for your appointment. She took the IV needle from my elbow. I covered my eyes. The dingy walls, the pebbly plaster, and the misshapen hook rugs depressed me after the glories of the forest of intangibles. I can miss it this time. I'll go next week. You're near about out of money, she said. My stomach rumbled. I uncovered my eyes. Franny handed me a tube of vitamin-packed protein mush. All right, I said. I'll go. What have you been doing? Nothing. Franny's in her twenties, but she can pass for fifteen, and she gave me an innocent blue-eyed look. Sitting around... Anything interesting happen this outing? There's always something interesting. You should try it. She shook her head. No thanks. I value my brain cells. I defeated the barbarian chieftain of the Plains of Squalor. His people call me He Who Lacks Remorse. I had just met up with a sexy damsel when you woke me. She giggled. I looked up lacrimose in the dictionary this weekend. It means weepy, given to shedding tears. Lacrimose rogue crybaby. I sighed. Yeah, I know what it means. I must have read it years ago without knowing what it meant, and my subconscious thought it would make a good name. It doesn't mean weepy when I'm out, though. It's just my name, striking fear into the hearts and all that. She ignored me. Eat your mush and get to your appointment on time or I'll get fired. I won't fire you. They randomly monitor us, you know. 
Dr. Hammond can dismiss me, get my license revoked, and you couldn't do anything about it. Yeah, yeah, I said, unkinking my muscles. I shouldn't have given you this job. No other nurse would let you go out on vision so much. True. I guess I'll keep you. I did a few jumping jacks, then started jogging in place. What's this? Franny said. She lifted a long wooden staff, like a dowel, from the corner. I stopped jogging. A quarterstaff? How'd it get here? I use one when I'm out. It's Lacrimosa's weapon. I took it, feeling the heft. I'd never held one before, really. Are there gaps in your memory? Franny asked, suddenly nurse professional. I laughed, uneasy, and looked at the floor. Don't know. Can't remember. I guess so, since I don't remember getting this. I leaned the stick in the corner. I don't remember seeing it before, she said. I shrugged. I'll get a regenerative shot today. Grow some new brain cells. Don't worry. Maybe you shouldn't do so much vision, she said. The deterioration wouldn't happen so fast if you didn't compound it. I held up my hand. I didn't say anything, but she stopped talking. I got my jacket and left for the clinic. I could sense Franny watching me with worried eyes. How's the leech business, Doc? I asked. Dr. Montresor laughed dutifully and hung the blood bag on a hook. He gave me a rubber ball to squeeze while my blood, worth more per ounce than gold, dripped out. Relax, he said. You always get so tense. He went to his desk and sat down. We lost two producers over the weekend, so the market rate's gone up. You'll get a bigger check than usual. Great news, I said, fake smiling. I don't know why he tells me when another producer dies. Reminders of impending death can't be good for my mental health. You won't last much longer yourself if you keep using vision, he said. Doc's built like a side of beef, only flabbier. He probably played football when the world was young. Now he runs the Hammond's Disease Research Institute, a very important man. He'd never let vision or any other pollutant into his bloodstream, but he doesn't need to escape reality like we producers do. I don't have much longer either way, I said. I'm 33. In five or six more years, Hammonds would get to my involuntary functions, and I'd forget how to breathe. Not something I like to think about. How goes the quest for a cure? We're making progress. He wrote something on a clipboard. How about the synthetic serum? Lots of promising work being done. The usual answers. Some say the Institute isn't looking for a cure at all, or that they found one and won't release it until they can synthesize the serum. I don't know. Doc's not friendly, but I can't believe he'd watch us die just to keep the serum supply coming. Tell me... Let me ask the questions. Have you had any symptoms? I thought about the mysterious quarterstaff. Uh, forgetting stuff, maybe. Losing time. I'm not sure. He grunted. The vision does that. Memory loss is only a symptom in late stage, Hammonds. You might have hallucinations at this point, but anything else is due to vision. You should stop using it. People depend on you. People depend on the serum. I wiggled the tube in my arm. Other people have Hammonds. They're turning out super antibodies. Let them stay sober. I looked away. Normally I'm easygoing, but finding the quarterstaff made me edgy. I hadn't suffered any symptoms before, of Hammonds disease or vision killing my brain cells. I thought I'd adjusted years ago to the idea of dying young, but maybe I just avoided thinking about it. Going out on vision helps you avoid thinking about things. Stop bugging me. Vision gets me through. Your entire life is ruled by chemicals, Larry. The one we get from your blood that saves lives, and the one you shoot into your arm to help you hide from life. It's funny. Yeah, hilarious. I should take my show on the road. 
Doc withdrew the needle and put the blood bag in his silver refrigeration unit. They do something to the blood, extract the serum from it, and send it to save the world. The serum cures Parkinson's disease and, with regular administration, stops epilepsy. It halts a dozen different cancers and speeds up human metabolism. They're still finding uses for it. My jacked-up immune system works almost flawlessly. I don't get colds or infections or anything. Just Hammond's disease, gradually turning my gray matter to mush. Having Hammond's is like finding the fountain of youth and realizing it's running through lead pipes, poisoned. I took my money and walked home, ready for another vision shot. That's the wonder drug, if you ask me, and it comes from Colombian laboratories, not some guy's bloodstream. It doesn't keep me alive, but it keeps me from wanting to die. Back in the forest, with the damsel. The background wavered for a moment, then came into focus. I've used vision for a long time, and believing in the world comes naturally. Vision induces a prolonged dream state, but the dreams are lucid and more vivid than opium fantasies. I can exercise some control over the environment, but not much. My subconscious crafts the world. I read fantasy and horror stories to get material, but sometimes unexpected stuff rises from memory depths I can't consciously access. Lady in your quest, I finished. There are many travails ahead, Lacrimos. I have a stout stick and a strong heart. Let's begin. She nodded, and we walked. Why do you require the egg? Are you under a curse only its touch can cure? Will you be killed by a bad fairy if you don't find it? No, no. The golden egg bestows immortality, and without that I will surely die. I stopped twirling my stick. What do you mean? Patiently, as if explaining to a child... If I do not obtain immortality, my life is forfeit, for eventually I will die. But not any time soon. So you aren't a damsel in distress after all? Not immediate distress, no. So, a very forward-thinking damsel. A day later, after a few typical altercations with monsters and brigands, we came to a castle. Normally reality doesn't intrude when I'm on an outing. Lacrimose the rogue acts in the moment but I wished I could achieve immortality as easily in the real world as I could here. This is the home of Montrose, the evil ninja king, she said. I tried not to giggle. This wasn't the first time my subconscious had mixed together incompatible elements. Once I'd fought dinosaurs and aliens in the same outing, and another time I'd battled electrified robots and the slime god working together for my destruction. Now I faced a ninja king in a black gothic castle. He has the egg? Yes, but surely hidden away. Then we'll have to find it. I twirled my staff. You will have to kill him first. And, having the golden egg, he may be immortal. We'll figure it out. I went to the massive iron doors and banged on them with my quarterstaff. The door rang like a gong. Montrose, let us in, villain, and face your death. I waited. The doors didn't open, but a black, hairy man jumped from a high window. He landed in a crouch and grinned at me, yellow teeth and a furred face. He snarled, half gorilla, half werewolf. He whipped out a wickedly sharp katana. He wore a red headband, and his eyes wept puss. Montrose! I shouted, lifting my staff to a defensive position. No, the damsel said. That is Griffonius, the Ninja King's bodyguard and chief lieutenant. The big ape came at me with his sword, and I whipped my staff down across his... "'Your timing sucks!' I shouted at Franny when I woke. 
wasn't me. She didn't look up from a magazine. It wore off naturally. I think your new supplier cut this batch with something. You were only under for about 30 hours. I buy Vision in unusually, illegally, strong doses, and I'd hooked up with a new dealer for this batch. It was sufficiently strong, cutting out bleed-through from the real world, but it lasted only half as long as usual. I'd have to go back to my old supplier. Were you about to get lucky with your damsel? No, I was fighting a ninja were-gorilla. Hmm. You hear about this applied psychomechanics stuff? No. She flipped to a page in her magazine. Some researchers think Hammond's disease activates latent psychic powers. The people who have the disease or use the serum can be telepathic, telekinetic, stuff like that. Jesus, I've got enough trouble inside my own head. Why would I want to see into someone else's? Franny grunted. Could you go to the store and get some milk, since you're up? The walk would do you good. I grumbled. Nurse's orders, she said. You don't exercise enough. Last time I tried to help out somebody in the family... I could pay a regular nurse to leave me alone. You wish. We serum producers, being so valuable to the medical community, have to be attended by a live-in nurse. The doc pays for it, and I pulled some strings to get Franny hired. It's nice having a friendly face around, even if she does get weepy sometimes, thinking how I'm going to die. I walked two blocks and stopped. When I'd passed by a few days ago, an empty lot bordered this street. Now a big black castle filled the space. The castle, only half-complete, resembled Montrose's from my outing. Workers on scaffolding mortared stones. "'What the hell's this?' I called. "'Some rich doctor's new house,' the stonemason called back. "'Ain't it the damnedest thing?' I went to the store, got the milk, and came back by a different route. First the quarterstaff shows up, and now the castle. Hallucinations? But other people saw this stuff, too. Unless I was hallucinating their reactions. Time to take more vision.' I couldn't handle the real world in large doses, especially when reality wasn't behaving like it should. Blade spinning it from his hands, Grafonius growled and somersaulted toward me. I threw my staff, jumped over him, and did a handspring. I landed perfectly. As he stood, I snatched up my staff and hit him behind the knees, producing a nice crack, and he fell face down. The damsel lifted the hem of her dress and stepped on Grafonius's head. She drove his face into the dirt, which suddenly turned to mud. Grafonia struggled and grunted, but she held him down, seemingly without effort, until he stopped moving. Impressive. Nice trick with the mud. You're not the only one with magic, Lacrimose. She cocked her head. I've always wondered, how did you get your name? You don't strike me as the crying type. Before I could invent a suitably apocryphal answer, someone bellowed from the castle, a black-clad ninja stood on the ramparts. "'Who dares attack my keep?' he shouted. His voice was muffled by his mask, but still seemed familiar. I couldn't place it. "'Lacrimose the Rogue, and, uh...' I looked to the damsel for her name, but she didn't say anything. Just put her hands on her hips and glared. "'We've come for the egg, Montrose,' she said. He put his hands on his belly and laughed. He's pretty pudgy for a ninja, I thought." You'll never have it. I've hidden it below my castle in the cellar of icy madness. You can't possibly breach my gates. I glanced at Grafonius and wrinkled my nose. Where apes rot fast. I'd forgotten that. Maybe the ape has a key in his pocket, I said hopefully. Not necessary, she said. We'll fly. She touched my elbow and we rose from the ground, slowly at first, then faster. We rushed toward Montrose. 
He stumbled back. Only his shocked wide eyes showed above his mask. He hadn't expected such a direct approach. I held on to my stick and tried not to get queasy. Most damsels don't do much besides get kidnapped and look pretty. I preferred my damsel to the standard variety. She was the sort of woman I'd like to get involved with in the real world, if I wasn't going to die in a year or three. Thoughts of reality don't belong in an outing, so I let them go. I put my foot on the rampart and leapt for Montrose. He escaped down a trap door before I could reach him. My damsel led the way down, through dim rooms filled with hags and ghosts and, yes, ninjas. She dispelled the supernatural creatures with her spells, and I dispatched the others with my staff. We reached the bottom floor and found Montrose standing before the entrance to the Cellar of Icy Madness. Frosty air blew from the recessed doorway. He cackled and drew down his mask, revealing Dr. Montresor. His image, anyway. I must have had a lot of repressed bitterness and suspicion for my subconscious to cast my doctor in this role. Follow me, if you dare. He ran down the cellar stairs. I lifted my staff with a snarl and waited for the frigid entrance. The damsel put her hand on my arm. Wait, she said. Before we go, I want to... Franny again, with the anti-vision. I sighed. You know, once upon a time I could finish a thread and wake up between storylines. Not anymore. Time for your appointment. You want me to walk with you? I didn't look forward to going into the world, but I didn't want Franny to worry. No, it's only a few blocks. I'll be fine. I got to the office and sat in the waiting room. Brass lamps, bland landscapes on the wall, white carpet. All very tasteful and not at all homey. The nurse apologized for making me wait. Dr. Montresor's with another patient. I twiddled my thumbs and read a fishing magazine. I heard Doc's voice and looked up. My damsel walked at his side. I recognized her instantly. She had frizzier hair than she did on the outings, and shadows bagged under her eyes. Even so, she looked good. She thanked the doctor and went toward the exit. She paused with her hand on the doorknob, frowning at me, then shook her head and went on. I swallowed. Hey, Doc, I said. Who was that? Hmm? A new producer. Just got diagnosed a few months ago. This was her third or fourth draining. She says she's been hallucinating, and she was worried about the accelerated strain of Hammond's disease, but she does vision, so it's probably just that. He grunted. Just that. As if that isn't enough. I didn't talk as he drained me. I thought about vision, the collective unconscious, the serum, and telepathy. I wondered if Doc was having a new house built, a big ostentatious gothic folly, but I didn't ask. I thought about all sorts of crazy shit, to be honest, but I couldn't make it fit together. When the Doc put my blood bag in his metal refrigerator, I thought I saw a golden gleam on one of the shelves. But I wasn't sure, and I didn't want to ask about it. Kiss you. We fought together this far, and I've come to care for you, rogue. And I for you, damsel. She was definitely the woman I'd seen at Doc's office. Had I seen her before, and subconsciously cast her in this role? That seemed more likely than the possibility of us somehow visioning together. This wasn't a massively multiplayer RPG, this was the territory inside my mind. Besides, if she was the woman from the office, why hadn't she recognized me? As I thought about it, I realized that she couldn't have recognized me. Lacrimose doesn't look much like Larry, the real me. Lacrimose looks like the guy who played Robin Hood in the old movies, with a thin mustache and a twinkle in his eye. The real me is a normal brown-haired, brown-eyed, average-height sort. 
Before you kiss me, I said, I must reveal my true face. I have traveled in disguise for years, but you deserve to see me as I am. I wanted to know if I'd lost my mind. I concentrated and changed my appearance to match the guy I saw in the mirror every few days when I wasn't out on vision. Her eyes widened. She opened her mouth, but no sounds emerged. It's hard to talk about reality from inside an outing, almost impossible, but she recognized me. That, or my subconscious created the illusion that this vision construct recognized me. Multi-level mental breakdown and nested hallucinations can be pretty confusing. Before she spoke, a dozen ninjas burst literally from the walls, bricks and mortar exploding outward as they came. They screeched and whirled various nasty weapons. I grabbed the damsel's hand and we raced down the cellar stairs. The door slammed shut behind us, cutting off the ninja pursuit. Those ninjas came at a convenient time, I thought. My subconscious must have been trying to protect me from an awkward moment. I glanced at the damsel. Or maybe her subconscious was protecting her. The cellar of icy madness was cold, the kind of cold that makes the outer layer of your skin feel like chapped leather. We shivered and hurried down the stairs. So this egg, I said, is there enough for two? Would you share immortality with me? I wouldn't turn it down. I don't know exactly how it works. The tales vary. Some believe it is the rare phoenix egg and can be used only once. Others say it can be used to decant the elixir vitae, the elixir of eternal life. I suspect it can be used only once, and I don't think Montrose has used it. Why do you say that? If he were immortal, why would he flee and send his minions after us? I wanted to say, because this is an outing, a vision trip, and it's more exciting that way. Instead, I said, you're right, but why wouldn't he use it? Another legend says the golden egg can only be used by one with a love-filled heart. Montrose's heart is cold. The egg would poison him. Right you are. Montrose stood at the bottom of the stairs. We'd reached the lowest level of the Cellar of Icy Madness. He held the golden egg, a gleaming ellipsoid bigger than a baseball, in one hand. But if I cannot have immortality, no one will. He lifted the egg high overhead, as if to dash it to the floor. No! The damsel and I shouted, and Montrose flung the egg. Already? I shivered. Yeah. Franny put down the needle. How long was I out? A week. That must have been some super strong vision. I rubbed my forehead. The golden egg, immortality, flung to the cellar's floor. I couldn't stand to think about it. I went to the doc's office for the blood drain. I sneaked glances at his specimen refrigerator the whole time. When he put away the blood bag, I distinctly saw gold inside. I'm out of anti-vision, Doc. Want to give me some? Take it out of my payment? He made a face. Sure. He left the room. I opened his refrigerator. Icy wind blew into my face. There it was, the golden egg, nestled among beakers and racks of test tubes. It can't be real, I thought. I'm hallucinating. I picked up the egg and found it fragile and lighter than I'd expected. I slipped it into my jacket pocket. Doc probably wouldn't notice the bulge. He might not even know about the egg. He wasn't really the Ninja King, just a guy making a living on my death. The Doc didn't suspect anything. I took the anti-vision and the money and left. When I got home, Franny said, Going under again? Or I could make a meatloaf if you want some real food. I'd like that. I put the golden egg in the refrigerator, in the vegetable drawer, under some broccoli. Really? Yeah. 
I think I'm going to lay off the vision for a while. After dinner, I stood in the living room and twirled my staff. I dropped it a lot, but I had fun. I went to bed to ordinary sleep for the first time in ages. I had dreams, not visions. Montrose was there, and the damsel, and Franny, and the were-ape and the cast of thousands. I dreamed of golden fruit, a rising phoenix, and men in star-patterned robes boiling lion's blood in beakers. I woke early and went to the kitchen. I poured a glass of milk. Franny sat reading the paper at the table. She looked irritated at my intrusion. She usually had the run of the house, aside from emptying my piss bag. She'd have to get used to me staying awake. I didn't want to go on another outing any time soon, not if it meant seeing the eggs smashed and Montrose triumphant. Could the damsel, if she was really the woman I'd seen in Doc's office, go to the cellar of icy madness without me? I hope not. I hope the egg survived, whole, in both worlds. Someone knocked on the door. I answered before Franny could. The damsel stood in the hallway. She wore yellow stretch pants, and I couldn't look at her enough. You don't know me, she said. I got your name and address from Dr. Franny, I shouted, startling the damsel and my sister both. I made a shooing motion toward the door. Out, Franny, out, take a walk, go, go, go. Barry, what are you... She saw the damsel and lifted an eyebrow. Hey there. Go. She took her purse and kissed me on the cheek. Be good, brother, she said and slipped out. I've got the egg, I said when the damsel came in. She leaned against the kitchen counter as if she couldn't support her own weight. It's real? Hope so. If you can see it too, then I'll believe it. I took down a frying pan and turned on the stove. My hands were shaking. Wait, she stepped toward me. We never had a chance to kiss. The ninjas came. I remember. I put my arms around her, not too awkwardly. Her breath didn't smell of roses, but it was nice. After the kiss broke, I said, This is really stupid. We've both got Hammonds. I don't have much longer to live. You're younger, but... There's the egg. I shook my head. It's crazy. We've got to be hallucinating. We're vision heads. Maybe we're only seeing the truth in a different way. I opened my mouth, then closed it. Was it a golden egg, or did I just see it that way? You think it might be the cure. The cure that isn't supposed to exist. That we read the doc's mind somehow and found out about it? I don't think anything. I've never been in this situation before. I haven't even seen the egg, if it is an egg. I'll show you. I opened the refrigerator, dug under the broccoli, and lifted out the egg. I held it wordlessly. That's a lovely potato, she said. Where's the egg? I relaxed my hands and let the egg fall. A potato. I wanted to cry. She shouted and dove, catching the egg before it hit the floor. She looked up at me, and I saw the woman who'd propelled us through the air. The woman who'd shoved a were-ape's face in the mud. Crazy? I was kidding! I thought you could take a joke! Yes, it's the golden egg. I see it! I closed my eyes. I could react in one of two ways. One involved shouting in anger. I chose the other. You're too much. You really had me going. She grunted and handed me the egg. I like them scrambled. I felt its roundness. If it looks like a golden egg, and it feels like a golden egg, let it be a golden egg. A woman after my own heart. I lifted the egg over the pan, and suddenly everything shifted. The cold air of the cellar of icy madness chilled me. Montrose cackled and flung the egg down before we could reach him, before we could possibly reach him, and the egg struck and broke into the pan where it sizzled. 
The enormous yoke gleamed, brass-colored. I set the shell fragments aside reverently. When Franny got home, would she see pieces of golden shell or the shards of a glass test tube? The damsel, whose name I still didn't know, looked into the pan with me. Maybe we should have it sunny side up, I said. We can share the yoke. Sure. She took my hand and squeezed it. And tomorrow, I'll make breakfast. All right. That was a really fun story to record. If you'd like to tell us what the egg really was, please write your answers on a 3x5 postcard and stick it on your refrigerator door. There's no prizes for this or anything. You can also leave us a comment on our website at escape.extraneous.org. Hi, this is Paul Julian Ozak. I'm reading Paul's review of David X, The Biggest Secret. I must admit, I didn't read this book cover to cover. I merely flipped around. In fact, I'm not even sure it's a science fiction book, but it is pretty weird and rather amusing. David Dick had written six or so conspiracy theory books. This one deals with the century old flood of shape shifty reptilian aliens from the lower fourth dimension who wish to take over the world by slowly infiltrating our government. He said he was speaking with a quote, if to psychic lady who said that she knew what I was talking about, because she could see the reptiles inside and around the bodies of leading world politicians and the business, banking and military elite, end quote. The funniest part in this book comes from the fact that the author is actually very serious. Honestly, I worry about people like David X. This book isn't exactly like reading, which is why I flipped around. It's good for a laugh if you can get it from your local public library, but I wouldn't spend money on it if I were you. Unless, of course, you believe what the author is saying. In that case, by all means, buy it, because your dollars will support the war against the shape-shifty reptilian alien from the lower fourth dimension. Saying that phrase never gets sold for some reason. Thanks again, Paul. This is the same Paul Giuliano who gave us the review of Neverwhere before. My guess is he didn't like the sound quality of that call, so this time he had his computer do it, just to make it clearer. The book, in case you missed it, was The Biggest Secret by David Ick, and the shape-shifting reptilian aliens who are taking over government, in case you missed that, are from the bottom of the fourth dimension. If you've got an opinion on a book that you'd like to share with us, you can call us on our voicemail line, 206-666-EPOD, I promise, whether you disguise your voice or not, we will not expose your private information to any shape-shifting reptilians, regardless of their dimensionality. Oh, speaking of, Escape Pod is a proud member of the Science Fiction Podcast Network. This is TSFPN.com. 
the Sci-Fi Podcast Network, out of this world entertainment. And finally, as always, Escape Pod is a paying fiction market. If you're a writer, see our submission guidelines. And remember that, in order to keep paying our authors and bringing you these stories every week, we rely on listener support. If you haven't yet, and you can spare it, please consider clicking on the PayPal link at our site, that's escape.extraneous.org, and donate a few dollars to us. We put all of your money directly into content. None of it profits our staff. For that, we rely on business offers from rich Nigerian widows. If you like this week's podcast, tell a friend. Or just give this to them. We release under a Creative Commons license. You can give us away, but you can't sell us, and you can't alter our content. If you love us, let us go. Our music is by permission of Dai Kaiju, the southern psycho-surf monster rock band. Now with 33% more Giant Monster. Find out more on their website at daikaiju.com. And that's our show for today, June 30th. We'll see you next week. And to our American audience, with the 4th of July and the fireworks and all, remember, Exploding Boy, you can use your power only once. <laughs>